Hello and welcome to the 40th episode of How Are You Holding Up? A mental health podcast by the depressed for the depressed. I'm Lindsay. I'm Chris. And we have a special guest today and that is new. Hi. <laughs> uh, the first question I think we're going to skip, if unless you guys want to do a quick little... I mean, we could. Uh... Okay. New, how are you holding up? I'm I'm stable. I'm, I'm pretty stable. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I mean... Yeah. How about you, Chris? <laughs> Uh, I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna go with I'm okay. Uh, after last week, I'm definitely in a better place. That's good. I got to see my therapist, so that was nice. Um, and I've got a full busy week, and I'm going to cook a, cook a duck after we are done recording this. That's gonna be fun. Oh, good. Yay. Yay. Small things. Mm-hmm. I get to see my therapist tomorrow. Ah. So that's good. Yay! And I'm trying to make moves into doing something I'm passionate about work-wise, so fingers crossed. Um, And you know, a little hope in your life always puts you in a better headspace, even if it's dashed, eventually. Couldn't agree with that more. (laughs) Absolutely. So this week, the reason why we are are going to be joined by our guest, New, is we are going to be talking about illness and depression, specifically chronic illness. Yes, and as always, we want to mention we are not professionals. These are opinions and just a conversation. Yep, completely experiential and biographical if we want to be specific about it. So starting off, New. Yes. What's your story? (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) Where do I start? Um, Well, the TLDR version. (laughs) Most people with chronic illness have signs early on like in childhood Mm -hmm. and so when I think back you know even in like first grade I was always in pain my back hurt my stomach hurt my throat you know my tonsils were swollen something was always wrong and recently I found my uh, report cards from elementary school and every one of them said that I was always at the nurse's office and it was a weird moment of like I had proof that I was sick and I wasn't comfortable as a kid but it made me sad to realize because it's like no one believed me even back then. Because little kids, you don't really think of them as being sickly. And a lot of people just assume that you're trying to get out of class and yep. it was probably this really negative thing mm-hmm. on top of you being sick. Like, don't, you know, my dad would say, hey, don't stop telling the teachers that you have bronchitis. You're, they're going to think you want attention. And, you know, I'd have a stomachache and go home and a parent would be like, oh, well, you seem fine now, so you're just faking it. Right. Um, you wanted to get out of class. And it's like, I did want to get out of class because I was being bullied, but I also didn't feel well. So that yeah. just makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then by adulthood, it just became debilitating and disabling by the time I was 23. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Um, I guess the first diagnosis that I got that was like official was the ulcerative colitis. Mm-hmm. And I had had um, uh, my first colonoscopy when I was 15, and they were just like, yeah, you're full of ulcers. Here's acid reflux medication. Don't eat spicy food. Oh, my gosh. And then, yeah, by the time I was 21, I was just throwing up constantly, bleeding from my colon every day, losing weight, and, you know, like 100 bowel movements a day, just mm-hmm. living on the toilet. So you were a really happy person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I felt great. I was working in skincare, so, you know... <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I was, like shitting my pants in between <laughs> facials. Yeah. But um, 
One of the yeah. things I admire about you most is that you seem to have picked up a lot of hobbies and you know so much about so many different things that you're passionate about. You put up content, you, um, you've been working, you do a lot of different jobs. And I thought that was really interesting because so many people who are that sick and that mm, nobody believes in for that long, like you kind of become a shut in. Yeah. I, um, it's funny because I'm such a different person now than I was when I first like got sick to the point where it was debilitating. Cause like back then I was still, I, I was 23. I was very, well, I was 23 when like, okay, I had the ulcerative colitis diagnosis when I was 21. When I was 23, it was the narcolepsy. Finally, after 10 years of hallucinating, not sleeping, seeing demons in my room, sleepwalking, all kinds of weird shit since I was a kid. And finally the doctor was like, oh, you've been hallucinating? Oh, you might be narcoleptic. <laughs> Duh. And so <laughs> Nobody I Nobody tested you for narcoleptic. No, they were just like, you're a tired teenager, you need to go to bed earlier. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How we believe our children and our teenagers. Yeah. Well, I, I, I thought I was cursed when I was like 15. I literally thought... I didn't know who to tell because I tried telling people and they just thought, I was, oh, you had a nightmare Attention, or, you're, yeah. or you're fucking crazy. So I was keeping it to myself and having horrible hallucinations. And now that I have dealt with narcolepsy for so long, the hallucinations aren't scary anymore. And They're, you don't have them as much, right? Because you're taking care of... Yeah, like cannabis has taken it from one sleep paralysis episode a day for like four hours to once every few months. Yeah. Crazy That's difference. amazingly different, Yeah. yeah. And that's the whole reason I started cannabis in the first place. But um, summertime, I still get flare-ups. The heat triggers narcolepsy. Well, I want to really go into it more. But I think first we're going to touch on one of the inspirations for this was we got an email from one of our listeners. Yes. And uh, this was a listener who had been going through. It's funny. I've known New now for, oh, my God. How long have we known Um, each other? I want to say over 10 years. At least since high school. So, yeah. yeah. So I'd say about closer to 13 years or so. Um, so uh, as soon as I read this email, I was immediately just like, oh, I know exactly who we could talk to about this. And it was, uh, from Francis. Um, hello, this is just a friendly message from a relatively new listener, but longtime depression sufferer. I'm so happy to have found your podcast, especially at this particular point in my life. It's nice to hear two normal people talk about, uh, talk openly about their own struggles with depression and the different aspects that are associated with the disease, but are otherwise often overlooked. Thank you. Thank you. That being said, would the two of you consider doing an episode on depression and illness sickness? I only ask because for the past year, I have been struggling with an illness that none of the multiple doctors I have gone to seem to be able to pinpoint exactly what it is. This ongoing illness, along with my already present depression, seemed to magnify the symptoms I was experiencing. It seemed like the illness and the depression were a tag team, and the finish line was making me feel as absolutely shitty as possible. While I am feeling better than I had been, I can't help but wonder if my symptoms would have been less severe if I had gotten my depression re-evaluated, or if I had gone to a good caring doctor first, would the depression not have been so bad? So, all that. Yeah. So that, yeah, inspired us because we were like, well, we don't want to talk about something that we don't know um, and we haven't lived through. Because living with depression on its own is so hard and so debilitating, let alone having all of these symptoms, physical issues, completely taking you away from your life. So we wanted to hear it from somebody who's dealt with it, which is new. Yay. Thank you so much for coming onto our Thank podcast. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited <laughs> to finally be here. Um, so uh, calling it a tag team is really great because a lot of um, illnesses do come with depression, like narcolepsy. One of the like um, 
comorbid things is depression, fibromyalgia, depression, ulcerative colitis, depression. And it's maybe part of it is the suffering that comes with it, but also because those illnesses like fibromyalgia and narcolepsy are neurological, so they mess with your brain function to mm -hmm. begin yeah. with. And then ulcerative colitis messes with your gut, which messes with your probiotics and your um, ability to make serotonin in your gut. So it's all a system that can get thrown off balance. And when you already have depression, it makes it even harder. And when your illnesses are taking you away from doing things that make you happy or working or following your dreams, or when people don't believe you, your family says you're faking, you feel like shit even more. So cut off. Yeah, mm -hmm. it just it's very, very isolating. Yeah. And that's why I talk about chronic illness so much because I was so isolated in the beginning of it, even though like I had a family who I would try to tell, you know, what I was going through and they couldn't understand it. They couldn't be there for me. And I didn't have like a support system for a long time. And I just felt like like I even had fr I lost friends. Um they would tell me, you talk about your illnesses too much. All you talk about is being in pain. But it's literally all I could think about because of the amount of pain I was in. On it took over your life. It took over everything. I was throwing up constantly. I was just, like, my my pupils were, were constantly huge because I was stuck wow. in, like, this overstimulated thing because of being in pain. Mm -hmm. So I would throw up... Uh, the first time it happened really bad, I threw up for six days straight. That's like a flare-up that triggered it. Mm -hmm. I went to the ER finally after six days. I lost 12 pounds. Oh, my gosh. And the nurse in the ER was mad at me. She was like, you should have been here after three days. Oh, if you had gone a couple more days, you could have collapsed. Mm -hmm. And I felt the reason I waited so long because to go to you ER, didn't want to, and I felt like a burden. I felt like I was upsetting my dad because yeah. he didn't know. You know, my it's not my dad's fault that he didn't know. It's like how can you accept that your child is sick? So my dad, instead of, you know, he couldn't be there for me because he couldn't understand it, and he was angry that he couldn't fix it. Because my dad's the kind of person who's like, if something's wrong, if with my computer or in my room or something, he's like, I'm here, I'll fix it. Right. He's like a handyman, and he mm -hmm. he loves. Um, showing his love that way, right. but he couldn't fix me being sick. Yeah. So, so it, walk us yeah. through some of so because I think a lot of people think of narcolepsy as just like oh you just fall asleep a lot. Mm -hmm. That's a huge stereotype. There are people and I do have followers with narcolepsy who have that specific type. So narcolepsy is primarily um, it's a lack of uh, a protein called hypocretin, cretin, <laughs> something like that in your brain, and that allows you to fall asleep and get the deep you know, restorative sleep. That's when we regenerate. The right? REM Which sleep. We absolutely yeah. need to have. And if you're a new mother or you're somebody who has a hard time falling asleep because of anxiety, depression, you know how bad it can be if you don't sleep well mm -hmm. after a couple days. Yeah. It, um, <laughs> when my narcolepsy first flared up to the point where I was like, something is wrong. It was actually, um, my cat passed away after a two year battle with cancer. That, um, the emotion of that, the trauma of that triggered my narcolepsy to be worse than it had ever been in my childhood, in like my wow. teenage years. So I had, you know, the hallucinations and being tired all, all day and stuff. But it went, it got so bad that I couldn't fall asleep for more than 10 minutes at a time for like eight months. Oh my gosh. I felt like I was losing my goddamn mind and I was. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, would, you lose your mind. Yeah, I would go sleep. to the doctor, I would go to the, the, the neurologist. We got the sleep study done. We did the wires. I didn't fall asleep one time the whole <sighs> sleep study because I was so severe. So one thing that's hard for people to understand about narcolepsy is the reason that we're so tired is because we can't sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the narcoleptics that have sleep attacks, they're very tired. 
But there are also narcoleptics who have cataplexy, and that's the kind that they laugh too hard, they'll they'll literally collapse on the floor. And it's like the goats, you know, the the fainting goats. Mm. It's cataplexy. And I thankfully don't have that. I have followers who do, and they can't drive anymore. Because something spooks them. No, they just can't. Yeah, Yeah. they'd knock out. So for you, well, that's awful. For you, um, how does it, how was it showing, like, as you were growing up, and then as you became an adult, like, what was just the narcolepsy? Like, what would that look like? Um, When I was little, I uh, had a lot of sleepwalking. I would wake up in random rooms in the house, and I was terrified all the time. I think I was having, like, a night terrors or something I, I was I always felt scary presence in the room so you just didn't know I didn't yeah I couldn't sleep because I was scared and I was I, just weird sensations and weird sounds and um like uh, uh that exploding head uh syndrome yeah I would get that a lot as it, yeah it was like and yeah. stuff like that little weird things that didn't really make sense but then I would get to school and like even as a little kid like not be able to focus and stay awake in class because I was so tired Mm -hmm. and it was in middle school when the hallucinations started Mm -hmm. oh my gosh how horrifying and that would happen anywhere um that would happen specifically if I tried to like sleep so like I would get home from school Mm -hmm. I'd be tired from trying to stay awake all day and okay I can't do my homework right now I need a nap I would go take a nap and like just a few minutes after like putting my head down on the pillow um it's like it it's sleep paralysis, so your your body paralyzes you when you're dreaming, so you're not, like, punching stuff in your right. sleep, which I do anyway. I punched my grandma in my sleep once. <laughs> That's why she made me she made me sleep in another room after that for my summer grandma and grandpa Aww. visits. <laughs> I punched her in the face. <laughs> anyway, but, so sleep paralysis, um, your body paralyzes you because it's like, oh, it's, it's sleep time, it's time to dream. Right. But you're still awake. And so you start dreaming while you're awake. You start hallucinating. Your brain starts spitting out images and, and like, taking you, Jeez. astral projecting you. And, and So at the time, did you feel like this was paranormal experiences that you were having? Yeah. And it doesn't help that my mom and my, like, aunts and stuff has, have all seen ghosts. And they've always told me, you have the gift. And I was like, I don't want it. I'm scared. <laughs> I don't like shit like that. Yeah. It, oof. And so I... I and this would happen usually during the day. It's very rare for me to have sleep paralysis hallucinations at nighttime unless I'm really stressed out wow. or my period's coming uh-huh. or I haven't slept well. Then I'll get it at night. But it's always during the day is the heat will trigger it too. So if it's an afternoon nap yeah. and the sun is coming through my window, I will almost always have sleep paralysis. But like it can be anything from demons to an alien ballerina to um, I one of them. The best one that I had, it was so funny. It was just, like, Tom Hiddleston with his long Loki hair, like, standing in my kitchen pointing at me. That was the whole hallucination. <laughs> oh For, like, an hour. God. He didn't say anything. And um, it, at some point, like, you realize, and okay. And you can't move. You can't move. So you're just laying there and your eyes are open and you're and, seeing all of this. Like, my eyes are open. They're rolling usually because I'm trying to move. Because I can usually, like, I can try to get out of it and, like, move my wrist. And so sometimes I'll go, Foo, and I'll get myself up. But your muscles are Locked. so weak, I'll fall over and, and fall right back into the hallucination. Ugh, that's it's nuts. like Yeah, it's like you're being dragged down into hell. And that's what I thought was happening to me when I was a kid. I was like, okay, because oh I, was, I was seeing monsters and demons. And now that I'm older, I still see monsters, but they're not scary. I'm just like, because I know what's happening. It's mm-hmm. your brain. Yeah, and that's why they the whole like uh, incubus and succubus myths come from sleep paralysis. That makes a lot of because sense. it's really interesting. That demon would sit on your chest. And 
hold you down and make you hallucinate and, and have sex with you and that. Yeah. Dreams. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that was just, so that was just your narcolepsy. Yeah. Just the narcolepsy. Yeah. <laughs> and then towards the end, I want to talk about like how you've kind of started coping and fixing mm-hmm. it. So what did, I, I'm totally talking, what about you? No, you no. I mean, I questions? was going to say, cause my, my mom also has fibromyalgia mm. and that has just been a constant She but she was diagnosed with it <clears throat> like way later in life, in her forties. Mm. What so. is fibromyalgia? Okay. So fibromyalgia is kind of mysterious. Um, it's generally known, like, the name fibromyalgia means, like, muscle pain, basically, but it's so much more than that. It's a fibromyalgia syndrome. Um, it's pain, daily pain all the time, but also, like, fatigue. Um, so a lot of doctors have attributed it to, like, our cells don't make enough ATP for our muscles. That's the energy, because our, our muscles are like batteries. Mm-hmm. They store all the energy, right? And so we don't make enough, and then we don't have energy to do things. So, like... Um, for example, like during a bad fibromyalgia flare-up, if I go to the grocery store for 30 minutes by myself, it sometimes can take me two weeks to recover from that. Two weeks. Mm-hmm. It sets me on a flare-up in a cycle, and that's when I can start throwing up. That's when I'm really bad. I'm a lot better now. I haven't had an episode like that in a and long there's time. there's nothing to fix it. This is something lifelong. Uh, yeah, no cure. It's because um, it's so mysterious. It's like it's neurological, so it's in the nervous system, and it affects absolutely everything it affects your brain function it affects your mood um your uh every part of how you function so like Mm -hmm. uh, sex Mm -hmm. and um your gut and skin and weight and everything yeah it's it's different for everyone if fibromyalgia is kind of known as like an older woman's disease and that's why like even uh especially when like younger people are diagnosed with it like it's hard for doctors to diagnose it because they don't want to believe that you have such a disease. So bizarre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whole, it's hard to even explain fibromyalgia. It's very mysterious. And there's also some overlap with myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is a chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm-hmm. Some doctors say they're the same thing. Some doctors say that they're different. My doctor told me I had both, which is very common. Right. Um, there's a documentary called Unrest about chronic fatigue syndrome on uh, Netflix. And it made me cry because it was exactly my experience. Like, this lady had it way more severe. Like, if she goes to, like, a festival outside, she'll have a flare-up and be crying and screaming and throwing up later. That's pretty extreme. I have had flare-ups after concerts, which sucks Mm because I love dancing. Um, But, yeah, fibromyalgia... uh, It's one of the more mysterious ones. And it affects you with just being, like, it helps... doesn't help, but it goes along with you being tired. Mm-hmm. So you and you're it in pain. It. Yeah, and it also like um, it's kind of like narcolepsy. Narcolepsy's like um, friend. Mm-hmm. So yeah. a lot of people with narcolepsy have fibromyalgia and yeah. other way around too. They often come together just because they mess with your neurology. Two things that doctors have a really hard time. Yeah, with mm-hmm. I yeah. think in general. Um, one thing that I want to say is uh, I didn't know what fibromyalgia was. So, okay, the time between my narcolepsy diagnosis and my fibromyalgia was very... It was only, like, a couple months. Like, I finally got the narcolepsy diagnosis. In your 20s. Yeah, I was 23. And that's when the neurologists were like, oh, yeah, you're severe. You're severe insomniac atypical narcolepsy. And they called it atypical just because they don't have the sleep attacks. Um, but they were like, here's stimulants to keep you awake. Yeah, to keep you awake. And I was like, well, but but I can't fall asleep. And he said, no, yeah, but this will keep you awake. And I'm like, but shouldn't we get me sleeping? And they were like, here, no, you got to take these. And I tried, and it was awful. I lost more weight. Stimulants 
I'm like, I already they're throw stimulants, up. Yeah. yeah, they made me throw up more. I couldn't, I couldn't function. So Your that's what led, yeah, that's what led me to to cannabis. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, we were talking about the, that. Uh, you were saying narcolepsy. One thing you wanted to mention. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. this is what happened. So my uh, when I finally started having the intense body pains yeah. and went to my doctor about it, she looked at me and she was like, that sounds like fibromyalgia. And I said, oh, my aunt has that. I didn't really know what it was. Mm. She looked at me and she hugged me and she said, I really hope you don't have fibromyalgia. I would rather have cancer. Oh my That's gosh. what she said to me when I was, I was 24 because my birthday had just passed. I had, I had, was just dealing with now knowing that I had ulcerative colitis and narcolepsy. And she said that to me. And then Shortly after we did the tests, they do all the blood work and rheumatology and all that. So it's, that. that's how you figure it out is through blood tests and... Um, yeah, they do that just to rule out, like, lupus, because my mom has okay. lupus. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. A lot of autoimmunes and mm-hmm. things like that. They all kind of tie into one another. All it's these things that nobody funny. teaches you about when you're in school yeah. at all. So if you're having any of these symptoms, I think it's so hard for children mm-hmm. to ever get diagnosed unless they have a parent who's, like, batting for them yeah. in, after doctor with doctor. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I thought, and I didn't realize this until I got so sick as growing up sick I thought everyone else feels the same way I do their bodies hurt after activity but I'm just I'm just a pussy and I can't handle it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought everyone else I thought that this was just how it felt having a human body yeah, yeah. being well, how would being you know sucked. yeah that was the only experience I had and you're like how are these people able to do all of this stuff yeah. and I can't um, mm-hmm. my, on my book reports, my doctors wrote um, not book reports report cards she was like new doesn't like doing a PE I didn't like doing PE because it's so much pain. Well, and I was so tired after. Yeah. I would get huge bruises, and I had bronchitis on top of everything else. Yeah. I would I would have a really bad like uh, bronchitis flare up like twice a year. Sometimes it would turn into. Did you pneumonia. have asthma? Yeah. Okay. And now I have uh, asthma as an adult. Not that bad, thankfully. I'm not on an inhaler anymore. I can't even. I, can't, I hate inhalers. Yeah. They stimulants. Yeah. And then your other large illness was. Colitis? Did I say that? Ulcerative colitis. colitis. Yeah, so ulcerative, ulcerative colitis. colitis. So that's inflammation of the colon mm-hmm. with bleeding ulcers. Mm-hmm. And it has remissions. So I'm in like a mostly remission right now, which is, it's nice. That's but nice. even in remissions, there's like blood. And is that just something that you like, you can be born with? Is something because of a certain diet and your body can't handle it? Or is that just... Yeah, um, well, it runs in my family. Okay. Um, colon cancer runs in my family. Lovely. So a lot of my aunts, uh, I lost like two aunts to colon cancer, and it started with ulcerative colitis. Oh, so I've had four or five colonoscopies in my life because they want to check you every two years when you have colitis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm overdue, but I just can't. They're so it, awful. You have to drink a giant tub of laxatives. I had to do it one yeah. time because I was really sick in high school. Guys, usually what you get colonoscopies, what they do is they, they put a, they make you poop your guts out the yeah. night before and then they stick a, you under mm-hmm. if, if you're lucky you'll stay under i woke up during mine and then they put a thing up your butt and go into your, your yeah, colon and, and take no. a little video camera of it little show it's supposed to be mandatory for men once they hit 40 if the, yeah so yeah for prostate cancer much oh. older thing to do mm-hmm. but when you go through it in your teens in your <laughs> 20s uh, it sucks it sucks yeah. just like almost every other medical procedure but so, so in going through all of these, would you say that the depression that you had was amplified afterwards or was it better to know? Um, 
it was absolutely amplified. Like, it was great knowing, like, having a name for these illnesses Mm -hmm. and being like, wow, I'm not crazy. Like, I have been in pain all this time. Um, That didn't make it easier for people to believe me, but it was nice for me to know. But the depression got worse because I already had this, like, lifetime of, like, a shame identity around me from, like, being bullied and, like, Mm -hmm. just always, like, molded into a person that I wasn't because I was so ashamed to be who I really was. Yeah. And so getting sick was, it felt like, you know, God had like a, like a magnifying glass over me and was like, yeah, and now you're sick and now you really can't do what you want to do. So it felt mm-hmm. like I was being kicked while I was already down. Ugh. So I felt like shit. I was like, wow, I'm a piece of shit. I'm a loser. And now I'm sick. So like my life is over. When I was 24. I thought my life was over. And I was like, I think the, the suicidal episodes I had after those diagnoses was like, I had like six of them from age 24 to 27. Mm-hmm. It was just like, it was like I was rolling and I couldn't stop. I'm and so I, sorry. It was rough. And I, and I couldn't get my family to understand how bad it really was because mm-hmm. It's like if I tried to tell them, they would feel like I was trying to guilt trip them and be like, I'm depressed and I have a shitty life. And they're yeah. like, but look of all we've the given The things you. that you have. Yeah, and I'm like, it's Depression not is hard that. for people to understand. Yeah. Especially when it's kind of based on that. Look at all the things you have. Look yeah. at how good stuff is. Mm-hmm. Like, this world is so worth living in. How could you feel that way? It's like, no. People have it worse than you. Yeah. Or whatever. Uh-huh. It's, it's, yeah, people, I think it's just there wasn't enough knowledge in it. And... You were dealing with so much. Especially with invisible, quote-unquote, illnesses. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole other aspect of it. Um, like, I don't look sick. When I'm having a flare-up, if you know me well, you know that I don't feel well. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, I look like a normal person. And especially if I'm having a flare-up and I lose a lot of weight, I get all these comments. Oh, you look so great. Have you been working out? And I don't know how to tell people. No, I've actually been throwing up every night mm-hmm. and bleeding from my butt. Yeah. And I'm wearing diapers to bed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, people can't handle that. Most people don't have it in no. their emotional wheelhouse to know how to deal with exactly. hard emotions, let alone all of the sicknesses. And that's mm-hmm. why I lost a lot of friends. And it's not really that they were bad, selfish people. It's just that they didn't know how to be there for me. Yeah. No. They did not know. They've never been in a situation like that. Because when your friend breaks their arm, it's like, oh no, feel better soon. And you sign the the cast. cast. It's a whole ceremony and you know it's going to be over in in six weeks and they're going to be back to normal. But when you have something that is permanent, there's no cure, you're never going to get better, you're always going to be in and out of flare-ups, they don't know how to be there for you. Because it's awkward. It's awkward to be like, hey, I know you're in pain and and it's going to be the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. And I totally get it, you know. Um, at first, I was really mad about it. I was very angry in the beginning of all getting diagnosed. I felt like, fuck my friends. You know, I've known this girl since first grade, and she's not there for me. And I was there for her. And I felt uh, that was just the hurt that I was feeling. And now I'm, you know, it's like, what, what am I going to be mad about them for? You know, mm-hmm. they just couldn't handle it. And it wasn't because they didn't love you. Yeah. And I had to learn how to be there for myself, which was a really big one. Yeah. That's what we wanted to talk about is so how, like, what did you do to take care of yourself <clears throat> after you found out your diagnosis and everything? And what, what, what happened then? A lot of research. So 
Um, I didn't, you know, the doctors were so useless. They were just like blood test after blood test. Oh, you're perfectly healthy. Mm -hmm. It's like, but you diagnosed me with all these things. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not healthy. And it, it's even hard for doctors who study this stuff to understand how it impacts your life. And uh, so it, in the research, I had to just try different things and try different I would I would ask my doctor about different medications. I would try different herbal supplements, yoga, meditation, everything I could find I would try that was safe and that I could access. And I spent thousands of dollars on like alternative treatments just to see what would work. And some of it didn't work, some of it worked great. And that was, you know, the, the self-care medical side of, of being there for myself. But it came to the point where I had to be like, it, it's like, you know, if I'm going to go through this forever, I have to have some kind of, um, like, system. So I made, like, a self-care routine for, for managing daily pain that I still do every day with, like, a bath and, like, self-massage and that kind of stuff. But the emotional part of it is hard because you have to... Like, you have to allow yourself the room to be mad about it. Like, I, I get, like, if my spine is flaring up, that's another thing we haven't talked about, my spine. Mm -hmm. I have a, uh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I have a <laughs> spinal thing. And when my spine is flaring up, that pain makes me crazy. It's the worst. It feels like some, like, a demon is, like, gripping the back of my head. And I'm, like, my nerves are on fire. It feels like <sighs> my brain is up in a boiling pot. Like, <sighs> it's, it's very uncomfortable. And my teeth hurt. Like, they're going to explode. And... That's the pain that makes me feel hopeless, and I feel like I get into a shit mood immediately. I, I get really depressed, and I'm like, wow, like, I guess I really am done for. And I start having those kinds of thoughts. The negative spiral. Yeah, so you have to have, like, build the awareness to recognize when you're having those thoughts and just observe them. Like, take that yes. step back and be like, okay, your our brain is like a ticker tape. It's just, it's just always, like, saying shit. And we can't predict our next thought. We're just observing them. So taking that step back and, you know, sitting myself down on the couch and being like, why do you think your life is over? Why do you think you're a piece of shit? Because it's like every day anyway, even if I'm not in a flare up, I open my eyes in the morning and it's like, you're a loser. It's like venom. Mm. But I think I think if I actually had a, a alien parasite up my butt, I would be happy about it. But like yeah. having the depression and the you're a loser and like that kind of stuff every day, it's you have to just treat it like a shitty roommate because mm. you wouldn't talk that way to your friend, mm -mm. yeah, right. But we talk that way to ourselves all the time. Yeah, we're big here on how are you holding up about um, talking well to yourself mm -hmm. and being aware of what you're saying to yourself. And that whole idea of like, oh, your self-talk doesn't do anything is bogus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. You can stop your self-talk and you can switch it around. Yep. Yeah, I just, I named her Vanessa. So when she's, <laughs> when, well, <laughs> when she's real mean, she'll be like, you're, you're stupid. You're never gonna, and I'm like, okay, Vanessa, finish, See ya. Yeah, finish your latte. Just, you know, I just give her her space to be negative and be a bitch and then. Sometimes you just have to laugh at yourself and be like, wow, I'm a fucking lunatic thinking these things. And that's another thing, too. Like, when, when I have those, like, depressive episodes, like, I look around my room at all my cool stuff and I feel like shit about it. I'm like, I don't deserve any of this. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm like, 
look at all these action figures and DVDs and blah. And I, and I'm like, I, I feel so unworthy of everything that I have. So you have to take time to sit down with those thoughts too. Like positivity isn't just like ignoring those thoughts and Ooh, I, I'm going to be happy anyway. It's, you have to give it the space to be negative, but analyze it. Think about it. Journaling helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and moving forward with it. Yeah. And like step around it a little bit. Like it's a piece of shit on the floor. So one thing that a lot of people deal with with invisible illnesses is just when the professionals fail you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know that that was a big case with, I think also you were talking about your spine. Mm-hmm. My spine is a really big one. It's kind of been like this ghost that has haunted me since I was little. I've always had back pain and just pain in general. And, uh, it's, it's, I was like, where do I even start with this one? Cause <laughs> so basically when I finally got diagnosed with fibromyalgia, I noticed that my main pain point, like the center of my pain was in my cervical spine. Um, it's like the top of your spine where your neck is. And it just, it was so intense. And I kept talking to the doctors about it and they would poke my shoulders and be like, yeah, you're pretty tense. Here's muscle relaxants. And they would send me to get MRIs and x-rays. And they'd be like, you look fine. You just have a muscle spasm. Your neck's fine. And I would take my x-rays and my MRIs to my uh, to a chiropractor that I started seeing, an alternative one. Um, and he was just like, your neck's the wrong shape. Like, mm. how did they miss this? Oh, my gosh. And I always knew that there was something about my spine that no one was picking up on. Because I, I would get, like, this swollen hump, like a bump on the bottom of my cervical spine. And I had a flare-up, and it would make all my other illnesses way worse. So I was like, what is it about my spine? So I kept trying to research, and I wasn't quite putting in the right keywords, I guess. But, like, for years, the doctors were just like, yeah, your spine's pretty swollen. Here's, you know, the muscle relaxants. But they also put me on, like, four different kinds of antidepressants because of my spine. They treat your mm-hmm. symptoms at the root of the problem. Yeah. They're like, you're depressed because uh, you're in pain. And I'm like, yeah, but... But also... Can we handle the pain? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it took four years for the doctors... It took four years of the doctors watching me deteriorate to finally give me pain pills, which I don't really like taking, I have them for emergencies, and my handicapped parking placard. That's been a huge thing. Um, but I didn't finish about the spine. So back to the spine, basically... And doctors failing. Yeah, mm-hmm. doctors failing. So the spine thing, uh, doctors don't really believe in spinal stuff causing illnesses. They think it's like witchcraft, like chiropractor kind of stuff um so finally when i was 27 i saw an alternative uh chiropractor and we did x-rays we did everything and we confirmed that i grew up with a condition called atlas subluxation complex technically it's atlantoaxial for me so it's the first two bones in your spine your atlas and your axis and they're special they're made just for each other and your brain stem goes through them i grew up with them uh like uh, subluxated, uh, misaligned in a way that compressed my brainstem progressively as I got older. So that contributed to me having um, motor skill issues. I had trouble writing. I still have trouble writing. Uh, I couldn't tie my shoes until I was 10 years old. Very clumsy, always falling down at school, always bumping my head and stuff. And that spinal condition is linked with fibromyalgia, narcolepsy, colitis, everything, because it messes up your body everything's connected yeah 
And it's like chicken or the egg. Was I born with these illnesses in my DNA or did the uh, spinal thing Make cause them? Cause yeah, them. so we don't really know, but like because my mom has chronic illness, it could be a lot of it's in my DNA, in the colitis, obviously. Maybe a little mm-hmm. bit of both. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, but I got my atlas adjusted two years ago. And I've been on a healing journey and my body is changing every day from it still. Because once you get that pressure off of your brainstem, your body can start to like... Slowly heal. Uh, yeah, and build. It, it can readjust and heal. And a lot of it has been like the scarring in my uh, connective tissue. Because all of that was the wrong shape for my whole life. And it's like crystallized almost. It was Ooh. crunchy from like... Um, um, the force of being in one position. Yeah, like the the fascia gets like sticky and mm. then it crystallizes because your body's trying to protect you from it. Right. Um. So massage has been a huge thing for breaking down all that crunchy stuff. I used to have huge. I could like I used to be able to crunch like my flesh for people and go. Yeah. I don't have much anymore. I was like a walking, like, cadaver up here. Just no blood flow because it was so stuck. Oof. My acupuncturist helped me a lot with that. So. Mm-hmm. so the emotions that come with a doc with professionals, doctors mm-hmm. not believing you, I mean, you must have a lot of anger and, and resentment maybe yeah. towards that because it would have taken like like if they had figured it out earlier. Yeah, I when I first got the Atlas subluxation diagnosed, I was so angry I wanted to sue every doctor I'd ever I seen. Bet. I was just like this is the simplest, tiniest little thing. All it is is making sure our brain is plugged into our body. That's mm-hmm. all that is. And no That's one... That's a good way of putting it. Like your plug was kind of a little loose and off to the side, like when you exactly. put it in wrong. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. And doctors, they just... It's not... I, I asked the alternative chiropractor that, that helped me. I was like, why don't doctors see this? And she's like, they go to school for 12 years. They see this problem, this medication. It's not in their toolbox. And yeah. this doctor, she saw people every day who grew up with the same thing. Some of them didn't have it quite as long as me. Some people just, they get it in a car wreck, and then five years later, they have fibromyalgia. So every day, this woman is adjusting people's atlases. That must be frustrating for her. Yeah. She gets mad, but she's like, you know, it's my job to set them on to heal, to heal and, you know, a path mm-hmm. of healing. And, yeah. you know, the difference that I feel in my body is crazy. But, like, doctors... It, I would. It got to the point where I would get so angry at the doctors that every appointment that I had, I would leave crying. I would leave suicidal sometimes because they just would. They wouldn't believe me. They wouldn't do anything. They would just go, "But you, you're the you're perfect health. You look great. Yeah. You're doing great." And I'm like, "No, I'm not. I'm barely coping. The pain is incredible. I'm isolated. I'm stuck at home. I can barely walk to the bathroom without like wheezing because I was so like just, depleted, yeah. just out of energy and." Um, I started writing, like, pages of notes for my doctors each visit, and mm-hmm. I would make them listen to me. I would be like, I'm coming in for this reason. It's been four years. My spine is swollen. da 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 da, da. I'm bleeding from my colon. And because they would try to, like, shush me and, and oh, no. Uh, yeah. No, Don't I, let the doctors shut you down. No. That's a big thing, I think. I remember when you were walking around with just, like, this huge packet of just, like, all of your medical stuff. Mm-hmm. All in just, like, here's my entire case study. Thunk. Yep. Yeah, because I think the thing is, is that so many people believe that doctors, I mean, they're supposed to be the smartest people in our society. A lot of people talk like that, right? But they're people. They're people. Mm-hmm. And science also is imperfect. And every we're still learning as a society and science is still growing and we're still learning so mm-hmm. much about the human body. I mean, look at the journey that science has had with 
depression, Mm -hmm. you know, you guys. So there's been so many times where I just didn't want to go to the doctor because I was embarrassed because Mm -hmm. I was, I was embarrassed that they were, they were going to shame me. And doctors sometimes do. Mm -hmm. They shame you and they try to shut you down and they act like they know what's best. And it can be so frustrating and so painful. So what is some wisdom for somebody who's maybe dealing with this and they're depressed and they're isolated and they're having these different physical issues, what would your wisdom be for them? Um, even though it's something that we have to deal with forever, it doesn't mean that you can't live a fulfilling life at your own pace. It's hard because we, we feel like, I felt like my whole twenties was like me stuck in bed, being sick in a neck brace, throwing up into a bucket shitting my brains out and my friends were like going to Vegas and dating and having all these experiences but there came a point where I had to realize this is my experience and it's special and it taught me a lot even though it was really hard. I learned more being sick than I would have if I had just been like a normal healthy person. I know so much now about the human body, about medicine, about life and I'm really grateful for the experience. And I I know that that's not always an easy place to be, like, especially if you're in a flare up and it's like you're constantly running on fumes. But if you can figure out a way to have like a system for yourself, like I do, like a routine for managing your pain and scheduled rest breaks and, you know, the right medication and stuff. It's almost like, you know, preparing for a storm. So each flare up or even if it's just like a, a, you know, a depression relapse that doesn't come with a painful flare up, it can be really hard to deal with. So if you make sure you got your box ready for when that happens, you just have to kind of hold on and it'll pass. Um, That flare up will pass. You'll feel a little bit better. You can pick yourself back up. And I've had to be okay with being slower than other people at getting stuff done and just being slower in general. (laughs) I think something I've learned from um, you also just from hearing your journey and is just because you get one or two opinions from a doctor doesn't mean they're right. Mm -hmm. And to sometimes seek out alternative medicine and alternative medicine in the States isn't so alternative sometimes like, When we're talking alternative medicine, we're not talking about somebody who comes in and and has sage smoke all around you and talks Mm -hmm. about auras. I mean, this is like stuff that should be pretty realistic, like chiropractic and, Mm -hmm. you know. um, So that's something to keep in mind, guys. If you're not getting the help that you need, looking into other alternative ways to get help. Yeah, there's never anything wrong, especially if you are going the more... um, not necessarily natural, uh, but definitely some of the alternative therapies out there. It is always good to look into them at the very least because there's just giving things a try. Yeah, YouTube is such a great resource <laughs> oh, now. Yeah. I mean, we have so much connectedness online with blogs, subreddits, YouTube, um, and that's also a good place to find support, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like finding that must be a good step if you're feeling isolated. There are, I'm sure, lots of places to find. Do you know of any that you would recommend of people who have chronic illnesses and you can talk? Um, well, on YouTube, uh, what helped me a lot in the beginning was just hearing other people's experiences. So I would like look up narcolepsy videos and people had lots of videos. You so know, things so alone and yeah. seeing their experience and journey. Mm-hmm. And, and when I first got the spinal thing figured out uh, listening to people's vlogs about their, you know, journey with their atlas subluxation was like opening up a whole new world for me because I I didn't know anything about that kind of illness or that kind of condition. 
But um, there are tons of communities online that will support you and be there for you and understand what you're going through. And yeah, I mean, integrative medicine is a thing. So if you can find a doctor who is open to that kind of stuff, that can be really helpful because like a big turning point for me, like I don't have a doctor right now, still dealing with insurance stuff. But when I I finally got a new doctor, um, I was so, you know, prepared with my notes to like sit down with the rheumatologist and like explain to her everything. And she came in and she had notes on me. She had already studied my case. That's how it should be. Mm-hmm. So if you need to put your foot down with doctors, do that and do your do own it. research. Because yeah. the power is in your hands to learn about your illnesses too. Like it's not just, you don't have to just listen to what the doctors tell you about it. Because a lot of the time they're just going off what they learn. Textbook. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, it does kind of come down to if you do get an opinion from a doctor that you do not like, you are always, always, always capable of getting a second, a third, mm-hmm. fourth, fifth, sixth opinions. Yeah. It's one thing if all of the doctors are saying one thing. It's another thing if you go through an tireless list of doctors and they all say the same thing. Yeah. That's two completely different stories there. Mm-hmm. Well, I think a really good moral of the story is whether it's... Uh, your depression or a sickness, um, having prepared yourself for a flare-up with your depression or sickness, that it's so important is self-care. Mm-hmm. Being aware of yourself and doing the research because yes. everybody's different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have to know your limits too. Like yeah. I'm, I sometimes you know I struggle because you don't you feel like an asshole like canceling on friends and stuff. But yeah. like I have to know when things are going to happen so I can plan my rest breaks or so I can say, you know what, I'm completely out of spoons and um, <laughs> I'm going to end up throwing up when I get home if I yeah. if I don't take this day off. Mm-hmm. So you have to know your boundaries and it's okay to set them. It's okay to be like, I can't go to your party tonight, Jessica, I'm sick. You know, even if they don't understand, then, you know, then Jessica It's not maybe, your job. Yeah, Jessica might not be a good friend if she's not, like, cool about it. <laughs> yeah, know? Jessica. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Well, New, thank you so much for joining thank us. You for having me. And sharing your story. Uh, do you want to plug anything yeah. in the meantime? Yes. Yeah, so uh, you can find me online. My name is New Hologram. I am on YouTube. I am on Tumblr and Instagram. Everything, basically. New Hologram is my name. I post videos about chronic illness. I have a lot of them already up. And... Um, yeah, on on Instagram and stuff, I talk a lot just about, you know, my experience, and that's a good place to, to chat, and yeah, a lot of my followers are Spoonies, too, so we all, we all love sharing our stories. That's fantastic. We'll put little links. Yeah, all links will be in the show notes, of course, as always. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Hey Who Podcast, like our Facebook page, subscribe to the subreddit. And if you want to send us something directly, go ahead and email mailbag at howareyouholdingup.com. Thank you guys for listening, and as always, don't tell us to just get over it. it.